All spiritual growth is purely to consciously realize that we are all one and live every day in that positive mindset. The purpose of our lives is to complete an esoteric spiritual awakening and transformation where we are all consciously aware that we are one. The more we know about our higher selves intertwined with the universe and God as the essence of creation, the more meaningful it is to feel whole because we are one in the same. Everyone has energy within and the power transforms that energy into different vibrations and dimensions. Join Charlie May in the connection to self, your spirit guides and spirit angels. Ascend to higher frequencies, vibrations and other dimensions with the Spirit Guider. Welcome to the Spirit Guider. I'm your host, Charlie May. What's up, Yale? Hey. Hey, let's talk about everything and nothing. <laughs> what do you think about that? So there's this quote that I like, and, and you asked me, like, so what are we, right? And you asked me, like, what are we when it comes to um, who we are as beings or who we are in the universe? You know, if, if all this is going on and we have this potential, but we also have this connection to things, you know, then what really are we? And I don't want to rob the owner of the quote, you know, the original the quote, but I honestly can't remember it off the top of my head. I'll have to look it up later and maybe you could post it in the, in the, the details section. But it, it, it goes like this, you know, I'm ever, I'm, let me think of the whole version. Um, love says I'm everything and wisdom says that I'm nothing. And so I like that quote because I really resonate with the idea that we're both everything and nothing. That there's part of us that says in my connection to things, I really represent and I'm a steward for everything and everyone in existence. But also that as much as I can be one thing, I'm none of those things. Meaning I've always seen it as like a diamond with different facets, right? To my mom, I'm this. To my partner, I'm this. To the person that doesn't like me, I'm this. To the person that does like me, I'm this. To the person that thinks what I do is amazing, I'm this. To the person that thinks what I do is ridiculous, I'm this. So, you know, there's all these different facets to who we are. So in many ways, we're all everything and nothing. But we do take on, you know, the critical mass as a person. It would tend to be with the people around us. But on a deeper level, we, we have the potential to be everything and nothing. We have the potential to ask, who am I today? And really to ask that as a question when you start your day and have an amazing result, whether you're at the top of, you know, the peak of your life or at the rock bottom part of your life, because there's that, there's that moment for contemplation. I love that. And even when people ask you personally what your ideas are on spiritualism, religion, will you also answer that same way? Not necessarily that same way, but I, I don't, I don't pin myself down to anything. So. But I, you do dip into an understanding and knowledge of certain religions that make sense to you in in that religion if there's a religion or a, a type of philosophy even non-religious or non-spiritual i want to know about it because it's just an inter area i'm really interested in. um and i've that's the stuff that just interests me since i've been like really small um but i i can say that i appreciate all those things i don't make necessarily take ownership even even the religion i grew up in i don't really take ownership of it I, I, like i'm i'm ethnically jewish and culturally jewish i'm not religiously jewish you know so i i've never i don't claim a I guess uh, I can't hang my hat on anything. We have the ability to take inspiration from somebody and then bring it into who we are and what we understand. And what happens is if you can digest that, what comes out is your unique expression of you. Exactly. When that doesn't work is when you try to take ownership of something that isn't yours or, you know, when, when you try to pretend you didn't hear it from somewhere and then take it, take it on as your own or whatever the case may be. You said something about a seeker. Can you give me... A definition of what you mean when you say 
seeker? A seeker, I think the most basic definition and, and maybe the truest is someone who wants to know. That can mean someone who wants to know about their life. That can mean someone who wants to know about the nature of the universe. But a seeker is someone who has big questions. Are you okay being called a seeker? I think I'm I, I think I am okay with it because it describes it describes a process that happens inside me. And, and, and I think it also describes um, a process that happens inside of a lot of us. Because you like to get into the intentions. I think there's t- there's different kinds of intent. On one hand, there can be a natural inclination to want to expand. Is that an intent or is that an organism doing what it's designed to do? Hard to say, right? You know, it can happen on a deeper level. Um, for example, when I, when I started really becoming a seeker in my life um, and taking on those qualities, I was not having a good life. You know, I was I was ill. I was young in my teen years. I was I was experiencing a lot of discomfort, and so becoming a seeker meant trying to open my mind up to what was beyond just just what I believed to be true about myself, about the world, about you know how things worked. And so that's positive. Was it was it me necessarily wanting to? No, because it kind of went against what I want to do, which is hang on all the stuff that didn't work for me. So was it a natural intent that came out through the organism that I am? I think in a way, it's me going back toward towards some things that really call like correspond with me on a deeper level you know that, that kind of correspond with with um maybe unmanifest parts of who i was you know who was maybe who was meant to be i don't know or who i could be the potential of who i could be and then there's also sometimes seekers who are like i want to get enlightened i want to master something you know i want the knowledge and power or you know like um i, I want to um, attain something so there, there's different motivations, I think. Is that a bad thing, though, to want to not necessarily. increase your knowledge? No, not necessarily. Let's say someone wants to increase their knowledge, but their goal is to help people with it. Okay, great. Oh, yeah, I love that. Let's okay. say someone wants to increase their knowledge, but they want to be the best just for themselves, and they want it, they, it's for their ego. You know, maybe that's not good. Maybe that's not so good. How but, would you know that it was for their ego? I think that the ratio of this is for me or that I'm sharing the benefit of this with somebody. You know, if it's, if it's and, and not to say this is all for me is bad. Like someone says, hey, I want to learn this because I want to increase my health and well-being because I'm, I'm, I'm not feeling well in this way. Not bad because if they increase their health and well-being and they're a parent, well, they're going to be a better parent. If they're a teacher, you know, in a school, they're going to be a better teacher. If they are, you know, taking care of an uh, elderly, you know, relative, they're going to be a better caretaker. Or if they're a neighbor to somebody, they're going to be a better neighbor, a community member. So... Self's intent, intent to serve yourself isn't bad. I think it's how does that tie into the dynamic portion of that? You know, is that intent to I'm going to do this for my health and well-being isn't bad because actually that's not just for you. It doesn't just benefit you in the long run, even if you did it just for you. You know, getting healthy is not just for you. Anyone who's ever had someone in their family that says, hey, I really want them to get healthy. When that person gets healthy, they've got to do it for them or it won't work, right? Yeah, true. But when they do it for them, everyone around them is happy. Yeah. You get what I mean? So that's that's kind of how – but. Sometimes people aren't like, hey, I want this person to become, um, you know, a, a spiritual guru or master or like, you know, it, it, if people aren't, there aren't necessarily people saying that. So they go take that and then, you know, they bring it back. We're talking about spiritual things, for example. That's not necessarily a good thing because nobody asked them to. Yeah. And they're not maybe not providing anything. So you're putting intent along with agenda. Agenda. Yeah, right. And agendas may be complicated, but hopefully talking about it in this way can make it a little less complicated because agenda is as complicated as we are people. Exactly. And I guess that's where I get confused some of the times because it's natural within us to do certain things without thinking we're doing it. Yeah. And to some extent, we're, we're, we're operating 
to the best awareness we know how. But exactly. there are moments that really bring us into a, a deeper state of awareness too. And you know, I think if an intent is dynamic, it's it can be beneficial. If an intent is, you know, is solely focused in, in, in the wrong places or with the wrong distribution of things, like someone doing something just for their own personal benefit. It may not benefit anyone else. It may actually harm other people potentially in the process or, or withhold the most, like let's say someone, let's use this example. Someone is a parent and they are, they want to study I don't know, let's say ceremonial magic, right? So they lock themselves in their room and they, they create circles and nothing wrong with this. But if it takes them from their kids and bills are going unpaid and they lose their oh, job, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. that's not good. Their intent originally could have been, I want to connect with the divine. I want to, you know, build the best, you know, would use my time here for the best spiritual benefit. And then, you know, and they may even said, and I want to help the people around me with that. But if, if it's actually destroying their life because of obsession or focus, it's not actually good. So even that good intent can show up in a bad way. But then that that takes me back to ego. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's all intertwined here. I'm getting a yeah. big picture. Yeah. Ego, agenda, intent. Yeah. It can all be related when when you're self-serving. It can. Yeah. You know, another good example is someone goes to the gym. They want the, they want to get healthy, but if they get focused on just having the best body and they start getting competitive, they can become kind of a, you know, a jerk. You know, that's not good. Originally, they maybe just started trying to get healthy. But what it went if, to their head, right? What if you see them as a jerk and we're going back to the beginning, yeah. but someone else doesn't see them as a jerk? Critical mass, right? There you go. Critical mass. Did, yeah. did, did 80% of people think you're a jerk? Okay, then they're probably right in, in most cases. Do only 20% of people? Maybe you just triggered something about them that they're feeling insecure about. Yeah. So, you know, critical mass builds a big part of our identity. Now, can someone be in a situation where majority of people see them as wrong, but they're actually right? Yeah, but there is a natural right sometimes like someone might be in a family of people who have their heads on backwards and be the one sane person what that means is they need to get out of that environment and around other people that that but it's going the pressures on them in a kind of an unfair way to say you've got to self-realize that you are not the crazy one everyone else around you is crazy these people have their heads on backwards get to the support of people who actually have their heads on forward do you think though critical mass ends up forming our identity i think in a way yeah I think so too. I think in a way, you know, and, and uh, it's an interesting thing to think about, right? Yeah. It's more. It's one of those things that leaves you with as many questions as answers, but it does get you thinking, and that's the point of it. Yeah, and we're back in a, in a circle. Yeah, and you know, I've always <laughs> said asking the right questions is what I believe to be the you know the center of of a spiritual journey. And you and I have talked about how does that differ than what a lot of other people say when they say spiritual journey, because we've talked about how it's how it's more non-cosmological, how it's more coming to ultimate truths within yourself and taking inspiration from places, but trying not to take ownership of things and trying to do that in a conscious way. Yeah, it goes back to that I'm um, everything and nothing. Yeah, and, and, and then knowing how, as, as someone who's everything, how to be reverent. And we talked about that too, because you're like, I love studying with this person and this person, but you're reverent. And so those people don't take issue when you study with them because the way the way you you respect their process and you know their you know what, what they have to offer, right? I can tell you one scenario. This is maybe the only time this happened. I was walking my dog and he's a pit bull and he's nice. I mean, he'll chase a squirrel, but he's nice, right? So as far as dogs go, he's really nice and friendly. And I walked him. He never bite a person. The masses would say that he's not, by the way. Well, and a lot of a lot of people would say maybe he's dangerous. So I walked him by a church near my house, and he said he said to me, you cannot walk this this pit bull here. Who said that? Well, the, the pastor. Okay. And I was like, um, I mean, I was like, you know, is everyone not God's creatures? You know, I kind of turned it backward. 
And there was a lady standing there and she's like, oh, yeah, I think so. And she turned to him, she said, I think so. And then he kind of just looked at me. But that's the only time, you know, and I felt I felt okay in that moment because I was literally minding my own business. And my dog is like, if they wanted to pet him, he would have been so excited. Yeah. And so it wasn't that I had a bad opinion about the church. It wasn't that I was walking around like waiting for them to say something to me. But they, he came up to me and I was like, all your people are here coming in for service and you come up to me, yeah. you know? So did I enjoy that having happened? No, but did I, did I feel like, okay, it's a good time to give people something to think about if they're going to come after people just minding their own business on the street, you know? And I wasn't mean about it, yeah. but and then so I walked away kind of like one hand, like, did he really just say that? But also did I really, <laughs> you know? Why do I love that? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm really, I'm really loving that. But it, it's true because I believed it in my own way. I believe it to be true. Yeah. You know, I believe we're all connected and I believe that there's value in all things. Would I ever write off a whole breed? No. Would I be more careful around having a pit bull? Would I be more careful around pit bulls? Absolutely. Because I've met pit bulls. My neighbor, not my neighbor, but someone two streets over has a dog that tried to jump the fence and bite me, right? So would I be careful around pit bulls? Yeah. Would I judge all of them? No, you know, I wouldn't judge all, judge all people either. I wouldn't judge all addicts. I wouldn't judge all, you know, people who are homeless. I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't take a group of people that was considered stigma and judge them just like I wouldn't take a group of dogs. So. Yeah, but it, it goes back to the masses and yeah. the profiling because of that stigma. And so I think when we talk about critical mass and thinking, we talked about that a little bit. And I don't, I don't know, we'll have time to go necessarily deep, deep into it. But I think critical mass around certain ideas is important because it relates to how we build you know, societal change, how we yeah. build equity, how we build transformation and things that are really outdated and corrupt in oppressive forms of thinking. So reaching a critical mass there is important. But you and I talked about it's frustrating because there are people who just don't want to do it because personal security is invested in there. And their identity, you know, going back to identity, is so wrapped up in that not being, that those stuff not being addressed, that they're, that they feel their identity and critical mass is threatened. But where the rest of us in the world, where something feels naturally right, makes naturally sense, we're going, hey, you have to see this differently. We've exactly. got to change, we've got to change society to make it more inclusive, to make it more safe for certain people and certain groups of people, to make it feel like it's benefiting everybody. 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 That being done, not just in our own country, for example, in our own households, our own conversations day to day, our own world as a whole, so we can get these ideas, you know, and get the critical mass on these ideas, so we can change the identity of the issues that we struggle with and, and, and the identity of, of our society in a way. Not to strip identity from anything, but to but to challenge the pieces that don't work. I try to put myself in other people's shoes. I try to take myself out of my body, put myself in their situation. Yeah. And how would I feel if I was them? Yeah, I, I try to do that a lot too. So I can, I, I totally relate. We wouldn't like it very much. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I've tried to think, especially a lot of events over the last couple of years have highlighted the struggles that people go through who don't experience privilege and who don't experience life to be readily easy because of certain factors that they can't control. You know, we talked about, you know, it's, it's gender, it's, you know, it's race, it's all these other things. And if we're not doing that, we're not trying to think of how it wakes up to how it feels like to wake up and be someone and not to not to be represented and not to be understood. I just think as human beings, we're, we're failing in the same struggles we failed in for thousands of years. And we talked about that. Yeah. It's a never-ending circle. Well, and then we also talked about if we don't address these things now, it's just getting worse. So by the time we address it, is it actually going to change? You know, yeah. are, are we just are we just going to stay in the preliminary process for so long that that we're not addressing some things fully as much as we should? But, but then again, we can only go as fast as the stragglers in society. That group is so big, we've got to chip away at it. And that's true on anything. You know, it's true on if we look at the economic system, that, that might not work for everybody. You know, if there's people with, you know, as they're, as they're doing the math on billionaires, we're like, oh, my God, that's crazy. 
Like even people with $500 million would have to work 4,000 years to make that much money. You know, it's like, you know, we do the math on billionaires, we're, we're chipping away at the belief systems that growing up in at Jewish and going to temple, we were told the thing that stuck out to me, I'll never forget, is when they said God's in everything. And that oh. to me just said, it to me, sometimes people make a statement. I know you have this to happen to, and it just triggers some big thing inside yes. you. And so when, when that or the rabbi that day, I had to have been like, you know, six maybe or something like that. And you start going to Jewish religious school on Sundays. And, and I was like, oh my God. So no matter what I kept from, you know, as, a, as someone who doesn't necessarily practice Judaism, I, it, like the way that is prescribed to practice, they, you know, kind of sees myself as a free agent in a way, but still re reveres the culture and things that, that I grew up in. I, like that stuck with me more than anything. And I don't know if, was it being taught that? Was it that that resonated with something I already felt to be true inside me? And was it a, a reinforced by people around me? Oh my God, yeah. I mean, was it reinforced by the people that like parents and grandparents and people? You know, absolutely. And then does society challenge me to grow in that? Definitely, because the things that, the ways I was taught to, you know, to look and, and foster the world raises the stakes and says, you need to do it now in this way. You need to do it now in this way. You need to do it now for for this part of society, that part of society, to, to try to bring, to try to bring, you know, have, have us all, and I think in the world that's high stakes, to, to make sure we're aware of people's suffering. I love that you said that that one thing that the rabbi said to you, God is everywhere, or God is in everything. Yeah. When I was little, like you, I was nine when I started asking questions because I didn't understand anything. I had yeah. so many questions, and nothing ever made sense to me because it, I didn't feel like earth was for me because it never made sense. So you were always looking for that. Always thing. looking for something. God, and I remember when the rabbi told me that, we went out to recess, you know, because we had outside time. And so I remember looking out and going, oh, my God, he's in the grass. He's in the dirt. Oh, my God, the sky. Also the sky. You know, I, that experience was just, like, shaping for me in that way. And I was like, oh, my God, and the people around me. You know, I was like, this is, this feels true. So I guess that was my first mystical experience. Did you ever have anything like that happen early on too? Yeah. I went up to somebody and I said, I don't believe in God because if there was a God, this earth would be different. Because yeah. I, I thought it to be, you, were you should be in a state of... You if a ruling entity, it would obviously change this stuff, Exactly. Right? You know how I feel about earth. And I said, I don't believe in God. And he said to me, look in the mirror. Interesting. Who was he? He was a really good friend of mine. Interesting. And that made me look at myself and realize that we're all God. We're all one. We're all part of this big something, this mass, this massive universe. And that changed my mind on everything. That's really interesting. That's such a cool experience. Like for someone to say, I can imagine just like that shaped for me, it had a shaped for you. Well, it goes, you know, look in the mirror is the same thing as God is everywhere. Yeah. God is in everything. You're God, look in the mirror. What are you talking so about? How can you same, not believe in God? Look in the mirror. You got the same sentiment out of that yeah. that I did, it, it, just in, in a different different delivery, right? Exactly. So that's it really And that's what formed my awakening. And I think that's cool because it, the look in the mirror addresses the unmanifest part of the universe that we talked about before. And, you know, the unmanifest part that's like, you know, it's, we have all these things, independent happenings, but then we have this piece that ties it all together, the unmanifest piece. We talked about how a belief system, not religious or spiritual, but even just belief in goodness or belief that nature has an order, right? Yes, yes. When, when I tell people, do you have a belief system? I don't always mean religious or spiritual or God or and as an intelligent universe. Someone can just be very atheistic and believe in positivity, you know, yeah. or believe that, that, that there's as, some, my favorite, devil's advocate argument is there's a, as much of a chance something good could happen as something bad could happen. So why not focus on what you want 
to happen. You know, because it doesn't have to be cosmological. I love to talk with people who are skeptics and atheists and whatever. Sometimes I find they're the most fun people to talk to because I can get tired of the woo-woo people really quickly sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I love, I love them. You know, I love all my friends that are a little bit more woo-woo and all, all the people I meet that are a little bit more woo-woo. But I, I also love the practical and refreshing people too. And, you know, the people that I meet that are just like, they, they've never, they don't, because sometimes I find that they have all these answers within and they've not, they've not thought about them so we get to talking that's it we can relate on stuff that we didn't expect to relate on in the first place that's why i like it i know a lot of atheists and and you said it right they don't think about anything they just kind of live yeah and that's that that's not a bad philosophy no when you talk to someone they're not dead inside just because they've made that decision exactly i think there's this bad like um generalization that that someone's dead inside because they've chosen to be atheist there's so much of a spectrum that you can exist on with that. We need, honestly, people who think differently. Because if everyone thought the same, we'd be in trouble. It's like we, we need different people. If we were just in a group of people on, working on a project, we'd need people thinking differently for it to be successful. So, you know, you know my philosophy, If it's about are your intentions good? The intention. Are the way you relate to other people good? Are the way you, you put your ideas out there good? At that point, as long as the ideas in themselves and the intentions are 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 good and they're not harming any but you know you could have, believe whatever you want to believe in you it, it's it's not it's not going to be a bad thing well then i could say why even do spirituality why do any religion why not just live with good intentions and be done so when i talk to people and let's say i give a reading to someone and they're not super open to spiritual things for example that's kind of the conversation we have i'm like hey you can still have a belief system and you can have a life philosophy and have it be non-cosmological. You can have it be you can have it be entirely atheistic and, and base it on things that you think are right and proper because moral and ethical are not the same as spiritual. But I found in my world, they are included in that umbrella of what's spiritual because to me the spiritual things are the things that unite the fabric of our lives. So it's just it could be just like noticing patterns. It could be cause and effect. It could be you know, a belief system that's not overly mystical. But the effect of that can be just as powerful as someone who believes in God, for example, or someone who believes in the universe, someone who believes in, you know, the power of goodness or whatever else it might be. Do you want to categorize yourself as spiritual? No. Yeah, I, I, no you didn't. I, I think that I, to, to, for people to understand what I can do for them, sometimes I'm forced to do that. But I think that my definition is a little bit different from the definition that that a lot of people would give it because I try to remain free of fixed ideas, knowing that that's impossible, but it's something I work to do because I want to see ideas develop and I want my ideas to develop and, and I want my individual ideas to develop in a way that's beneficial for me and, and you know, for the, for the world. And... Um, you know, we've talked about how the, how the new age kind of existence is is starting to represent some rules and regulations and dogmaticism and yeah. even some some kind of like things that, that can create little pockets of. I don't want to be put into that category. But you might still like things that align with it. You know, the thing is, it, it's consumed and absorbed so many things. Um, things that you may enjoy. <laughs> no, I understand that. You know, it's 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 ultimately consumed. Even some practical things like diet, you know, <laughs> like, like diet. It's consumed diet. Yeah. <laughs> it's consumed things that, that, 
that don't necessarily have to live in that bubble, but do at times. I love the way you live. I'm, I'm serious. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, 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 um, what, what about it? You don't tie yourself to anything. Well, that, in that, it's true in an ideological way as much as, you know, for the most part, but it's not true in that I don't tie myself to anything. I really tie myself to, you know, ideas about family, about people I care about, about the world I care about. So the things I tie myself to, they're, they're spiritually significant to me, but they're also practically significant to me. And I always see a balance between those two things being good. Now, do I see people who, who don't, don't do the practical thing? And do I benefit from knowing them and hearing their ideas? Absolutely. So I'm not saying my way is the only way either. I'm saying that my way is the way for me and that I hope that, that, that talking about some of the ideas I have will help someone understand their own way, but not necessarily adopt my way. You know what I mean? But I guess that's what I meant. You don't tie yourself to a specific spirituality, which one way goes. You don't tie yourself to a religion. You dip from ideas and from the personal experiences. Yeah. But you know what I do? I do get inspired by people who do tie themselves to things. So because I believe there's right and wrong ways to do it when it comes to um, how it's beneficial to yourself in the world. Like there's people who are who are Christian and, you know, considered authorities and things. And I love hearing some of their stuff. I've heard some of those profound things from people who are Christian. I was never Christian ever. Not born Christian, didn't ever practice Christianity, you know. And I've, and I've gone, okay, well, that makes sense because there's a universal truth represented in what this person's saying. I've also... I, I love hearing things from friends of different backgrounds, sharing little pieces of, of their own, you know, like, you know, belief systems and, you know, like, you know, cultures. I mean, in, in, in reading books by people, it's just that I don't want to own any of that inside me. I, I want to uh -huh. be inspired by it, though. So I, I, I don't I don't like um, reject it as a whole. I try to absorb what the person's saying and, and really appreciate it. Have you been discriminated against? As a Jewish person? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, there's nothing like feeling unsafe. As a Jewish person, it's unique because there's nothing like someone knowing you, finding out you're Jewish, and then suddenly discriminating against you and treating you badly because they thought that you were, you were white and Christian. Nothing like that in the world. Um, it, like suddenly being, oh, I've learned this one thing about you. Suddenly you're out. But then there's also the Damn. more dangerous situations too. You know, like, oh, my God, I, I'm, I'm not safe here kind of situations. So... You know, but then Jewish people, we love humor, too. So we, like, love to, if it's not harmful, sometimes I find some of the things people believe about Jewish people, like, not funny in general, but sometimes when, like, I can't help but laugh, like, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. But then I take it seriously because I know it's part of the bigger problem. But we, we as Jewish people, use humor because your husband's Jewish, right? Yeah. And, and so you've probably seen this. We use humor to cope, like, with, with grief with loss, with sometimes bad situations. But it, we, we also are, like, hyper-aware, too, of, like, things that can be dangerous to us. But you actually have to tell someone you're Jewish. Do people think you look Jewish? Some people, yeah. I mean, it, or if some, like, let's say when you're in school and there's, there's like, bigotry and hatred going on and, it, you know, it can, it can become a dangerous or, like, really uncomfortable situation. Someone's told somebody else, possibly. But not just by looking at you. It, I guess it depends on the person. It's it's subjective, I think. Some people are like, yeah, you fit my idea of white person. And yeah, white person. You, you don't fit my idea of, you know, white Christian person. Uh -huh. But it's difficult because Judaism is a religion and an ethnicity. 
And so a lot of times it comes up naturally because they're like, hey, what are you doing for Christmas? And you're like, oh, actually, I'm, oh, I'm Jewish. Yeah. Yeah. And like, and so then in school, then the whole room finds out. And then if someone's not, you know, then someone's like, you know, can say something mean to you automatically or bully you or whatever. You know, so that, that's that's really the risk of it all. Like, it is that you're not, you got to be who you are. But, you know, I, I grew up with the difficulties I had with being, being Jewish came from people not really being kind and some, some more dangerous situations. Like, it... it it, it, it makes you want to change who you are on some level, but you really can't. You know, you get older and you're like, I can't change it, but I can, you know, be who I am. So I love that part of me that's culturally Jewish, even though I don't practice religion, because I'm like, I believe it's a big part of who I am. It, yeah. It's taught me being in a Jewish family and a Jewish upbringing, a lot of things. And we were, we were like, um, my grandparents were the last Orthodox generation. They became reformed. And so that means kind of more, more relaxed practicing. And, and so it's like, it, I love my family memories and, you know, the way I was raised. I can, I can totally attribute it to being raised Jewish and being raised well. That's interesting. You know, I grew up in the South, you can tell. Yeah. I'm Southern. Yeah. But I don't think twice about people's color, their religion. I don't even think twice about it. Yeah. And I grew up in a small town. But I could go up to Boston. I just got back from Boston. And they mocked the way I talk because I'm from the South. Yeah, I, that's got to be frustrating because it's like it, there's a stigma around it, right? Yeah, so, you know, they probably think I'm stupid because of the way I talk. Like you chose it, right? Yeah. So do you see how people will judge you no matter what? Yeah, I, I, I And I I'm agree. a white girl and I'm yeah. pretty and they're still going to judge me. Yeah, they're going to judge you, right? They pick the one thing. But also it goes back to are you triggering something in somebody? That, yeah. that like is it maybe they're just finding the one thing that they can pick on you know some people are no better than the schoolyard bully when it comes to that but those are the, that's how you find out who you want to be around too yeah you know that's how you find out who you want to be around I like I for example I love to be around all different kinds of people because how the heck are you going to learn anything or have any real experience in the world being around the same kind of person your whole life like it's it's tough you know it's like it's tough to get some variety if you do that and uh, to understand the greater world you live in I think. We're isolated enough just being in one country, not seeing the rest of the world out there, like, you know, let alone not being around one type of person. If you don't tie yourself to a specific religion or what have you, will you still tell people you're Jewish? I do because it's part of who I am. You know, like, I'm, I'm culturally Jewish. I couldn't wash that off or change that. And I'm genetically Jewish. Like, it's genetically true. Like, I come from a group of people who have lived together and had their own language, their own culture, their own tradition. So, like, yeah. And I think that's true for a lot of modern Jewish people. It's like we we, we don't necessarily have to practice to be considered, to, to consider ourselves Jewish and call ourselves Jewish. Does your husband practice? And does he do all the holidays and everything? Yeah. yeah so he's, he's We like, light the candles. Yeah. And see, I, I will when I want to, and when I don't, I won't. Like, if it's, if, and, and so I've tried to teach my kids a little, but I'm giving them the choice. I'm exposing them to all that and, and not not making them you know that it, it, and we all have our own way of doing it now, it's so. interesting because i grew up christian yeah but i don't tell people i'm christian yeah i don't even mention it see i don't mention it unless someone asks see like i think it's like if someone's interested to know something but you don't meet a lot of people these days who are like what religion are you but yeah. sometimes people to me they'll be like something's different you know why why is your hair like that or why is your <laughs> <laughs> Why, why, why do you say that that way or whatever? Yeah. So it, it can come up naturally. And my husband's last name will give it away that he's Jewish. Yeah. I mean. I don't have that problem. No, you don't. <laughs> no because Scottish last name. Exactly. Yeah. So I would not have put you being Jewish. Yeah. 
But, you know, my grandparents, they didn't have that, you know, benefit. And, they, you know, there were times people would be like, oh, your last name, I know for sure. But, you know, they, they have the East Coast accents and everything else. Yeah. Out, so, you know, it's, a, it's, it's, it's interesting. Are you putting your children through looking at spirituality and other different realms of thought? I've tried so hard to guide them on, like, what I consider those ultimate truths to be, but not give them a framework to, to stick to. Like, it's a lot of times I'm, like, talking about things through the lens of nature just as an allegory. And then, you know, they have exposure to, you know, traditional Jewish things, and they have exposure to traditional Christian things. Well, Christian holidays, you know, my wife isn't, like, a church goer or anything like that, but she's, you know, Christian holidays and things like oh, that. Oh, your wife is not Jewish? She, she's not. Okay. Yep. Um, so we, we have like an integrated household and so they, and I think in a positive thing in my mind, see holidays and, and I, I hope one day spirituality and as a different thing from each other on purpose. I think I've done that on purpose to make sure that they know that they have the right to choose what they go into as far as religion. But I want them to understand at least the benefits I've gotten from what spiritual is understanding ultimate truths about themselves and the world. Because that's where I found those things. Yeah. And that's what I, where I hope to teach. So what are your last thoughts on everything and nothing? Everything and nothing. <laughs> and again, it goes to like, you can wake up in the morning and decide what you want to bring into your life. And that's probably a topic to touch on another day because it gets even bigger than that, I think. But if you're everything and nothing, you can decide what you want to focus on. And ultimately what's good to focus on, good for all, and including you. The intent. And it's empowering. The intent, yeah. The intent. And that's a big topic that we couldn't unpack today. But we will, though. But i later time. Yale, thank you. This is The Spirit Guider with Charlie May.